This is Alex. I'm from Boston. Hello, this is Jackie, and I'm from Houston. Hey, this is Rahul from Stanford. And we are the Premier Chess. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chels, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming into your speakers and headsets, good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Rahul, three wins in the row. I don't think we'd be seeing this so soon. There's a lot of negativity around Chelsea Football Club, but how quickly we all forget. It's been a wonderful week, my friend, and I think we have to continue using this intro uh, because ever since it's come back... You know, the results have gone the right way. So I don't know about suspicion. I mean, um, superstitions and omens or whatever you want to call it. But I'm going to go with this one and say it just has to stay. <laughs> I'm not a superstitious guy, but there is something about me bringing back that intro and we're going to win. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I did it just to have a, a feel good factor for myself. But here we are and it's working. So I'm going to continue to stick with it. Let's jump into the Leicester game, Rahul. I think we were all pretty confident. We had a, a previous episode with Kamal, and all of us thought we were going to win this game. Some of us a little more confident than others, I'll say. And so <laughs> I had predicted a 3-0. Unfortunately, we do concede it ends 3-1. But you've got to be happy overall with the result and just three wins in a row. Yeah, you, you definitely do. Because a week ago, or maybe a little bit over a week ago, you're coming into the Leeds game on the back of a Tottenham loss, a Southampton loss, a Dortmund loss, uh, and there doesn't seem to be an end in sight, and suddenly you win the Leeds game, right? And even then you're like, well, I don't know going into Dortmund what's going to happen. You win the Dortmund game. You're like, well, I don't know what's still going to happen. I feel good, but you just don't know the way things have gone this season. But the boys turned up, and I think it was it was a tough away game. You have to, you have to call it how it was. And yeah. Uh, you know, hard tackles, tackles, bordering red cards, even. Uh, <laughs> Lesser were aggressive. I think yeah. in, in certain portions, they they were the better side. But I saw something what I haven't seen in a while is when they were putting the pressure on, we didn't just crumble or we didn't just fall apart and, and let them get a second goal or go ahead. We stuck together. We we had to dig in. We had to do the right things. We stuck together. We go ahead and get our own goal. So I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but apart from the win, and I know I said a few weeks ago, I don't really care about the performance, and maybe the performance wasn't where it needs to be, but we made it count when we had to in this game, and, and that's all I can say is I have to be happy about it. Yeah, and I want to talk a little bit about Graham Potter towards the end of the segment, but it shows signs of things turning around maybe, and maybe what he's been talking about, that it's a process and it takes time. And I, I hate to sell that to everybody else because we've heard a lot of it about the boys gave their all and we're all hurting and it <laughs> takes time. But it seems to come to fruition now where we're all watching and saying, maybe, just maybe some of us can start to buy in a little bit, Rahul. I know there's a long way to go, but all of these things are just going to help us as Chelsea fans kind of pay attention and maybe not get so toxic like we've seen over the last few months over here. Let's jump into the starting 11. Why don't you give us a rundown of who started there? Kepa in goal, Wesley Fofana returning back to Leicester, Koulibaly, Kokorea as the back three, which was the back three from the Dortmund game, mm -hmm. Loftus-Cheek uh, in the right wing back, Enzo, Kovacic, Ben Chowell as the four. And then up top was Kai Havertz on the left. And I know we want to talk about that. Mudrik down the middle in 
Uh, I beg your pardon. Kai Havertz on the right, Mudrik down the middle, and Jao Felix on the left. So I think you're starting to see some form of a starting 11, or at least maybe eight or nine players. And we said that in the last couple of games as well, which I think could be part of why Grandpa's is seeing some success now. You're getting guys that are getting used to playing with each other, knowing where one guy's going to be, knowing who's going to make the run. And the same formation, I think, which is important to note, we'd seen a lot of chopping and changing with formations. So I'm pleased with the lineup. Let's talk about the return of two of the Leicester faithful for a few years, I guess, and not so much <laughs> not so much faithful with them anymore, but Fofana and Ben Chilwell. And I, and I wanted to open with them, Rahul, because as we go through this segment, we're just going to praise them because I thought they were absolutely fantastic. But Ben Chilwell, you can see how much Chelsea have missed him. My goodness. He, like we've been saying, he, along with Reese James, are, are two of our best players. And uh, when your left back is popping up in the box <laughs> on the volley to score a goal, you you have to say that he has been he's been the change that we were we were very much missing in the last few months, even even earlier part of the season when he was coming back but not fully integrated. Uh, and it's almost allowed. I, I know we spoke about it, Kukurea, but it's almost allowed Kukurea to mm. do a different position, come in and play as a left-sided center back. And, and I'm not going to say he's been phenomenal, but he's been okay. He's done yeah. a decent job in the in the last two games. Uh, and it's allowed Ben Chilwell to go ahead and, and attack and provide that outlet. So it's great to see. Uh, I know a lot of fans or, or a certain number of fans were, were thinking maybe there'll be changes in this game. But uh, before we move away from the starting 11, I think you've got to give credit to Graham Potter where in the last month or so we've seen changes game to game and we've made four changes, five changes. He's stuck to the guns and I think really down to injuries uh, or fitness. He was kind of forced to make a couple of changes, but even then, uh, you keep the core the same. You give them the belief that they had from Dortmund. They come into this game, and and that kind of carries over, right? So uh, he has to take a little bit of credit here where we've been pretty harsh on him the last month or so. So uh, coming back to Ben Chilwell and Fofana, I think they knew what they were going to get into uh, coming into this game, and the Leicester fans were booing them on every <laughs> single touch. No matter where it was, even after Ben Chilwell's goal, he was getting bo- booed even more. Uh, but I think it fueled them and got them firing to to perform. Absolutely did. And I think with Fofana, Rahul, when we went to get him, we did a segment with Ben Jacobs, who actually is a Leicester fan, and he kind of knows the ins and outs of what's going on around there. But he goes, you know, he's a good player, but Chelsea are paying for the potential of what he can become. And, you know, I sit here and you and I talk and I go, it's not our money, and so it doesn't hurt. But as a Chelsea fan, you start to go, we started with 50 million and then it was 60 and then it was like 70 million. And I forget what we finally ended up paying for Fana, but he was one of the most expensive defenders out there. I think he might have like overshadowed Virgil van Dijk's transfer at some point. And I go, I get that we're paying for potential, but where is the limit for this guy? Because <laughs> we didn't really get to see him. He came in and he looked decent, got injured. And I don't want to get out of myself, but every time I watch him, you can see that the Chelsea scouts or the people in and around Chelsea that said, I think this is the guy, go out and get him. You can say he's physically strong. His timing and possessional awareness is actually really, really brilliant. If he can stay fit, you have kind of the changing of a guard behind Thiago Silva and Koulibaly, 
with someone like Fofana and maybe even Badia Shield ready to go. And, and they've got that experience into some of these senior guys. So I don't know about you, but if he stays fit, I'm super excited to see what he can become. And and it's not just the defending. I think he's a constant threat from set pieces too. Yep. Uh, I think he hit the post or he pulled off a, a brilliant save out of the lesser goalie. So uh, we've been talking about Thiago Silva, who does tend to score, but I almost take it back to someone like a John Terry, who was great defending, yep. had the awareness, had the the ability to stop attackers, but also go ahead and score some crucial goals. So maybe we're getting a little bit ahead. We're getting we're getting too far uh, of ourselves with uh, what's happened in the last week, but I think Fofana definitely has made a change in that defense. And that's what winning does, my friend. It makes us delusional as fans, <laughs> and we get excited to see what's going on. Let's move a little bit up in the pitch. Kovacic and Andrew Fernandez, I think they're forming a wonderful partnership together. When one goes, one stays. They're finding each other with short passes. They know when to spread, when to tackle. So very, very lovely to see. Ruben lost his cheek, Rahul. I want to come to him for a second. Although he's never going to be a Reese James and people love to hate on Ruben Loftus cheek. He keeps getting picked manager after manager. He's played different positions. I think we've said this many times. But he comes and he does all right every single time. He gives me that vibe of I can trust him to do a job and get it done when we need him. And and that's what he's becoming is I don't want to use that word, but a utility player who can fit into the right wing back position who can play as a central midfielder, I think we've even seen him in, under different managers play as an attacker. Uh, so he has the ability, and I'm not saying he's going to be consistently giving you 9 out of 10s, but he's definitely going to give you 6, 7 out of 10s, which is not bad for someone that ultimately is going to be part of a 25-man squad versus saying we need him to start every single game. So I think a few weeks ago we were maybe leaning towards, all right, it might be time for him to go, but... Uh, it's not a bad option to have, and, and yeah. we know what we get out of him. He's He's got the physical attributes. He's got the, the the body type to kind of hold off defenders or just be a nuisance for, for defenders or attackers even that are coming down that right side. So, again, I, I, winning does this to you, but I think we're just continuously heaping praise upon all our players versus a few weeks ago where it would be like, I think he needs to go. I think he's not been good <laughs> enough. Uh, but like you said, that's what winning does to you, and I – Apart from just the winning, I think Loftus-Cheek, even last season under Tuchel, was showing us that I just want to play for Chelsea. I don't care where it is. I'll right. do whatever I need to do. And it takes me back to when we had players under Mourinho in that mm -hmm. first stint, at least. Look at someone like Michael Essien. And I think he just posted a video over the weekend saying, when I'm tired of playing center back, <laughs> uh, he went ahead and scored a goal. But he's the one that we, we used center back, right back, defensive midfield, box-to-box -box midfield. He he may have even played goalie. I, I don't remember. <laughs> uh, but that's the way we've been kind of used to is players just get in there and do a job and say, you know what, I'm going to fight for the badge. And Loftus-Cheek does that. And I think with summer coming up, Rahul, yes, there's going to be a clear out. But you know that other teams are going to watch and say, we can low ball Chelsea. They're kind of desperate to thin out the squad and as that happens, maybe we drag our feet, we don't get the players we want, or people are going to say pay us hundreds of millions of dollars to get a player that maybe isn't worth that amount. With Ruben Loss's cheek, homegrown, academy product, no finances on that front, one of those players that if he plays four or five games in a row, you don't see him for four or five games, he doesn't complain, he's not in the news or the media. It's kind of a nice person to have in the squad. And so overall, 
let's see what summer holds. But it's been a breath of fresh air, just like Ben Chilwell, to have these guys coming back from injury. And keep that in mind because I want to talk about the return of players after we finish the segment. Let's move to up top and then we'll kind of break down the game. Jao Felix on the left, Kai Havertz on the right, Mudrik down the middle. Let's talk about Mudrik down the middle. He's been a good winger for Shakhtar Donetsk and he's mostly played from the left. What do you make of him playing the false nine or, or maybe the number nine for Chelsea this time around? I was a little surprised. I thought Kai Havertz would continue down that that center path. But uh, then I look at the Leicester team, right? And I, I look at the defenders and Daniel Amarte. Uh, there's Harry Suter, who had just come in from uh, into their team over the January window. And then I'm going to mess his name up, but Wesley Vice, spouse. Um, so those three, right? And I don't know if any three of those are blessed for the pace that Mudrik has and that in 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 him. Uh, so I think that was really the reason was to kind of stretch them to keep them on their toes, which would allow Kai Havertz and Joe Felix a little bit more room. And ultimately, I think Mudrik was good, but he did struggle with the physicality that those guys have, those defenders have. Um, but I still want to say that I know when we were watching it, and everyone knows we text while we watch games, <laughs> when we were watching it, I don't think we were that pleased. Uh, but since then, the more I think about it, I'm like, he came in after th- two, three games that he hadn't played. He played in an unfamiliar position. He did a job that we needed to mm-hmm. do. We ultimately win the game. I know he gets an assist on a different day. He gets a goal. Um, True. I can't be that critical of him, Jackie, just yet because he's new. He's learning. I I know he must be hurting from the fact that that goal was called off. And he himself maybe not be happy with the performance in the sense that in certain cases he was getting pushed off. The touchers weren't coming off. He was losing the ball pretty easily. I think we were getting frustrated with that. Uh, but as a professional, you know all of that when when things aren't going. But even then, Jackie, when he gets moved, when we switch to a back four and he gets moved to that left side, mm-hmm. he was fighting. He was yeah. alert for that run that he made for where he almost scores. So ultimately, I think he did good. He did a job. He came in and, and performed, and the team won, which helps your confidence, and we move on. You know what's interesting, Rahul? We look at Kai Havertz, right? And we'll talk more about him in this game because I thought he was brilliant and I think he's finding his feet in a, in a deeper position, maybe not the number nine, which is why while Kai Havertz benefits in this game, Mudrik suffers a little bit just to fit everybody in. But you look at Kai Havertz and you go back a couple of seasons, I feel like you and I had the same conversation. He's kind of weak. He's not physically up for the Premier League. Things are not working out, but he works hard. He tries hard. And so I almost wonder with the Mudrik, we signed him in January he hadn't really got a preseason, and, I, and I'm hating myself for saying this because this is all the stuff Graham Potter said, and, I, <laughs> and we were screaming and saying, you can't say this stuff, you can't say this stuff. But anyway, he hasn't had a preseason. He's figuring things out, new country, new language, new teammates, hasn't been picked a lot, and so that kind of pushes you down a little bit. But I almost feel like it's a masterstroke from Chelsea because he's learning as he goes in real games. Like you've said all the time, there's nothing like playing real games to learn. And you wonder if next season he can really kick off because he's got this half season under his belt where he goes, every time I did this, somebody in the Premier League was physically better than me. I need to go work out or figure out how to do my balance, come on like an Eden Hazard. Or when I play off the shoulder, I'm offside all of the time. I got to delay my run a little bit. Or when Kai Havertz dropped, you kind of learn these things 
and you hope that next season, and I'm not saying he wouldn't come good this season. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. But I can see what can happen when he's given that six months to learn under the rest of the team and with Graham Potter kind of refining the tactics, he really could come good. I agree with you. I think, and I know a lot of people, including ourselves, have been a little like, where's Mudrik? Where's Mudrik? Why isn't he playing? Where has he been? I think Graham Potter is handling it in a way there True. where he's saying he's new. Everything you've just said, he's new to the league. He's he's come in and not played a professional game, I think, since November. We need to give him time. Ultimately, he's coming into the best league in the world. He's coming into a team where we have a lot of players and Graham Potter yeah. is trying to keep everyone involved and happy. Um so I think, you know what, maybe he doesn't play the next game if Raheem Sterling is fit. At least he doesn't start it. Right. But he's part of a team now that is winning, and that ultimately changes how players feel, a manager himself feels about picking players and not having to explain every single detail where <laughs> we're winning, right? Like, what are you going to complain about? Well, Raheem Sterling scored in the, in the game against Dortmund. That's why I'm picking him. Um, but I think for Mudrik, it's, it's a sign. It's a sign that... The manager trusts you. He's giving you the time. The club are giving you the time. And the club have invested a lot of money in you. Uh, so they're going to back you and, and give you whatever you need to be successful. So I agree with you. I think the rest of this season, we're not saying it's a write-off for him. But it's a learning experience. It's an experience to say, you know what? This is where I need to improve. And, and I'll come back next season and show the world and show uh, Arsenal fans what they missed out on <laughs> and it's funny that you say right off because before we start recording today guys Rahul says we're going for top four so it, it's <laughs> funny it's funny how the winds can just change the atmosphere around Chelsea Football Club which is it's so nice to have back that positivity and we can discuss it and have a good time on the podcast and not hang our heads low let's talk about Leicester for a few minutes Rahul I know you said they were aggressive they were up for it they were dirty but one minute in, Ricardo Pereira tries to break somebody's leg and the referee goes, you know what? It's a tackle. Let the game go on. I watched it in the bar a couple of times and I'm looking at it and going, that could be a career ender right there. Because if you hit him a little harder, incorrect angle, you're going straight for his bone there. If that's not like dirty play, I don't know what else can be considered dirty play at that point. And it doesn't matter that he was not trying to do that, right? Because ultimately he does catch the guy he leaves his studs on him. He, like you said, you could have he could have broken his leg. I think with today's day and age, when you have video referees, you have the mm -hmm. ability to go back and look at it. It has to be a red card. I mean, there's no other way to to put it. I'm, and I'm not saying this because I want a player to be sent off or I want the advantage. We won the game, whatever. But I don't know how he gets away with it. I don't know how the the, the referee. I think Graham Scott sitting in the studio says. You know what? It's it's not a red card. It's violent conduct. It's mm -hmm. something that yes, he didn't mean it. Again, I'm saying that, but he caught him. And what are we going to wait for someone to break their leg and be out for a year or so before we say, oh, you know what? That was a red card. No, I think that's absolutely wrong. Uh, and I think we need an explanation. I, this is not the first time Chelsea have been on the wrong end of a decision, and we just continue to roll on and say, oh, the referees need to be better, and the standard isn't that great. Well. Why isn't it that great? We're in the playing in the best league in the world. We have the best managers. We have the best players. Yet we have the worst referees. And it's not just about our game. I think it happens in a lot of other games. You look at, I think Arsenal had a few decisions a, a few weeks ago against Brighton. Man United have had a few decisions. Man City. Liverpool, every team, Jackie. It's 
And it's not that we're, teams are finding reasons to blame it on referees. It's pretty obvious that the referees are missing the point. They're missing the mark. The decisions aren't consistent. You may get a decision here. You may not get it the next game. You may not get it the game a few weeks from now. And I get that it's all human-based. I get that the way the laws are understood by a certain human are different by the, from the others. They're written for a reason because they should be understood and, and implied and applied the same way by everyone. So it's frustrating. Luckily, Joe Felix doesn't get right. hurt for a, a really bad injury. But what, are we going to wait for someone to really be injured before we give these decisions? Look, I absolutely hope that that never happens. And you look back a few games ago when Aspilicueta gets kicked with a high boot and right. a red card doesn't come and you start to wonder what's going on. And again, I'd like to say what you said and, and repeat that. We're not asking for red cards and advocating that every game Chelsea should have a man up and we should just have the advantage. I think the game should be played fairly. So if we do something silly or stupid like that, I put my hands up and I said, why is our player doing that? We've seen that many times with Drogba slap somebody or John Terry went with a heavy tackle or whatever the situation may be. It's like, we don't want the red card. That's frustrating. But why was our player making a stupid move? And so I look at this and I go, I'm not the biggest fan of VAR. And I think I've made that very, very clear on this podcast. But what are they doing, Rahul? They're getting a chance to see it from 15 different angles and they make a decision 60 seconds later and they both go, you know what? There's not a clear and obvious error there. And I'm wondering, at some point, right, the game has that air of nastiness to it because if I can get away with this, what else can I get away with? And referees have interviewed many, many years later and come out and said, if I'd stopped it here, if I'd given the yellow card here or the red card here, the game changes. I'm not saying take the bite out of the game, but you set the precedence of what's allowed and what's not allowed. And obviously from there, you know what happens next is Leicester get a little more aggressive, a little more ready to do this. And it just goes on from there. But look, enough about the red cards. Let's talk about uh, the goal itself that happens. I know we're jumping in and around the game a little bit, but Ben Chilwell, like we said, getting booed 10, 15 minutes, <laughs> doesn't care. <laughs> he finds his way to take a, to take a corner off of the rebound of the corner, hits a sweet, sweet volley to end up in the back of the net. And you look at this, Rahul. We had talked about defenders chipping in with seven, eight goals. We need that this season. If we're not getting goals from our striker, where are they going to come from? Who steps up but Ben Chilwell? And at that point, when the ball, I think, falls to Koulibaly and he kind of does a little fake and then you know goes in and puts in the cross, I'm like, this is a very deep cross. I yeah. doubt anyone's going to be there. And then in the next second, the ball's hitting the back of the net. I'm like, what, what just <laughs> happened? Uh, and I don't know if Kulubali meant it. I'd, mm. I'd love to find out if he meant to put it that deep. But the execution from Ben Chilwell, I mean, damn, that was like a, a prime. I think you mentioned Drogba a few minutes ago. That was a prime Drogba who just comes up from nowhere and just bangs it in the back of the net. Um, and... I, I think the commentator and a few people were online were like, the goalkeeper should be doing better. I don't think any goalkeeper is expecting Ben Chilwell to, no. to time it and hit it so sweetly that it just goes in it from that angle and that when it's dropping that fa fast. So you got to give Ben Chilwell credit. He just took it on. He he says, you know what? I'm, I feel good. I back myself. <laughs> and what are the way to shut down the booze or get more booze? Uh, than to score a goal like that. And he goes right up to the Leicester fans with his hands up to his ears. And, and he's, I was a little surprised because I, and maybe I've missed the the bad blood between the Leicester fans and, and Ben Chilwell, but 
I was a little surprised because I'm like, I mean, yes, he left, but I don't think he left on bad terms. Uh, so clearly I've missed something somewhere <laughs> along the way. Uh, because when I see him doing that celebration, I'm like, why didn't he just, he left lesser. You should, most players are like, you know what? I, I put my hand up. I, you know, I'm not going to celebrate, but he was like, <laughs> screw this. I'm going to go celebrate. I'm going to, you know, aggravate them even more. And I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it a lot because he's not just confident to do that, but he's also confident to be like, I back myself and you can boo me all you want, but there's a reason I left. And that's to win the European cup, which I did. And, and I'm playing for a team where I belong. And that's the thing, right? The mentality of a player of, of his stature is, I don't know the history of how he left, if it was good blood or bad blood or whatnot, but if he left with bad blood and they boo him, fine. He's just giving it back to them and saying, you know, it is what it is. But everything I remember, Raul, is he turned up for training, a good bit came in, they accepted, he moved on. So maybe that's what made him even more upset. It was like, I left, got a lot of money for Leicester. I didn't <laughs> make a big scene. And, and maybe he did, and I don't know the whole story. So I'm going to let you guys rile me up, but I'm going to do my little celebration and Whatever you do is not going to haunt me. I'm going to come here and keep doing the business. Because even after that, Rahul, he just kept going and going and going. And he was absolutely fantastic. So big mentality for him. And of course, we talked about Fafan as well, both coming back and hearing it from the Leicester fans. But what a way to silent them up and kind of go from there. Rahul, we were playing really well in that first half. And I think Leicester were coming back and finding opportunities. You saw a little bit of the complacency creep in, what I call the 20-minute complacency where Chelsea, at least in the earlier part of Graham Potter's suffering, I'll call it, we would start like a house on fire, play 15, 20, 25 minutes really well, and then just lose all focus and lose hope. And in this case, I think you start to see that creeping in where Leicester grow into the game. It's only one nail. They're finding positions. They're finding ways to go through. And then a goal comes out of, I don't want to say it comes out of nothing, but a goal comes out from a fantastic strike from uh, Pat Sendaka. And... I think heads would hang low again. Yeah, I mean, it was, like you said, I think at that point we had even hit the post from Jao Felix. We were creating chances and, and should have been at least two up uh, by the time Leicester scored that first goal. And it's funny, that first goal comes because I think Jao Felix is trying to dribble it out, yep. uh, gets caught in position, and I can't really blame anyone, right? But I'm looking at him like, even from that far out when he steps up to take the shot, could Kepa have done better? <laughs> it's a question I'll never know because every time we get a shot from outside the box, we tend to concede uh, when he's in goal. But it just, the timing of it was was wrong for us because we were, I know you said the 20-minute mark, but I, I don't think in this game, given that we had scored that first goal, heads were dropping or we were kind of losing momentum. Yes, as soon as we conceded that goal, Leicester were all over us. I mean, I think we were lucky not to go 2-1 down at that right. point. And Kepa, to his credit, pulled off a couple of good saves. We just hung in there with everything <laughs> that we had up until we we got the goal. But, um, yeah, we were under fire for, for at least five minutes after that goal went in. And that's what, what teams have to do away from home is we were the better side. We came in with better results, at least, with a little bit more momentum. We got their first goal, but then the home team comes into it, backed by the fans, and we had to hang in, and we certainly did. And I think we scored our goals at every every goal we scored was done at the right time. Yeah, the yeah. first goal puts us puts us in charge. The second goal gets us out of that that 
crazy period we were in. And ultimately, the third goal sees the game through. But Leicester could have been 2-1 up, and that would have been scary. And I think it's important to note, you talked about how important and the timings of the goals, right? Looking back maybe four or five games ago again, if a team scores, you and I know it's time to turn off the TV. There's no way <laughs> Chelsea are coming back. It's over, right? Leicester score, and rightly so, Rahul, they're all over us. They have pinned us back, and I'm like, let's just go to halftime. Just blow the whistle. Let's just get out of this and get a chance to reset, refresh, and kind of figure things out. And I don't want to say the goal comes from almost nothing, but you can kind of see a little bit of individual brilliance. And I think this is where it becomes important, right? Four, five, six games ago, there was individual brilliance, but there was no cohesion. One player could do a flick or a trick or Zhao Felix could dribble and hit the post and nothing was working. You get a little bit of individual brilliance between Enzo Fernandez and Kai Havertz. They make the connection. It's the 46th minute plus I don't know how many minutes of added time had come in there. A flick up, another flick up, and you just like that, we're back on top. And I think we start screaming when we're celebrating and, and going through it. But after you watch it and replay it the second time, the third time, the fourth time, you go... That was brilliant. That's just the presence of mind under the pressure we were just under and trying to get out of. And me as a fan praying for halftime, just go, just go. (laughs) The difference I'm seeing now is that they didn't panic. They didn't drop their heads and say, this game's over. They found a way to just make these little moments count and they get back in with a a lovely, lovely finish from Kai Havertz who deserves a lot of praise for that one, as well as Enzo. Kai Havertz definitely does because the added time was for the tackle that Danny Lamarte put in on him, yep. <laughs> followed through, however you want to call it. We didn't even touch on that. Uh, but Kai Havertz was left with some bruising on his uh, on his chest. And at that point, I was like, either he's going to get upset and go and hit Lamarte <laughs> back, which I'd be okay with, or he's going to get upset and score a goal, which was what happened. And I was like, you know what? That's even better because <laughs> it puts us, puts us back in, in the lead. But you're, you're definitely right. I think... When Enzo picks up the ball, right, and he looks up, I'm looking, I'm like, I don't see what's going to happen. At that point, I did not expect the goal to come out of it. I thought it was going to go left, it was going to go right, because that's what I'm used to for my number five, (laughs) right? Um, But, and this isn't the first time, I think, that ball he put in for Jao Felix against West West Ham. Uh, He's been looking to find players over the top in other games, but he has this ability and the vision to be like, you know what? I'll just scoop it. It's, it doesn't have to be on the ground. It doesn't have to go out wide. Let me just go direct. And it almost makes me wonder last season when we were talking about our great striker in Lukaka, um, we were like, no one plays him down the middle. He makes the runs. No one's finding him. It almost makes me wonder with an Enzo there, what happens? And I don't know if I'll find out <laughs> next season. Uh, but that ball was, the vision was just Cesc Fabregas-like, and then Kai Havertz pops up, Didier Drogba-like or Diego Costa-like, and just flicks it and puts it in the corner and doesn't celebrate. And I'm like, it's offside. VAR is going (laughs) to do his thing. But the commentator is like, it's a goal. The flag hasn't gone up. And I'm like, then why isn't this guy celebrating? (laughs) The players are going around him. And I'm just very confused because I'm like, did we score or didn't we score? Because usually it's VAR, like, you know, halting the the celebrations, but clearly this was given. Um, but it was a brilliant move all around, and it bails us out. I think, like you were saying, going going into halftime, we're like, right. let's just hold on, let's just hold on. 
suddenly we're two one up and Graham Potter has a whole different team talk to give than uh, we need to be better. We need to fight harder, which I'm sure he did anyway, but a great feeling because I was expecting a one nil. I think you had ultimately said three and, and Kamal in the last episode had two. So as soon as we hit two, I was like two games back to back. It must be dreaming. <laughs> Look, I think Kai Havertz doesn't celebrate because he's still in pain from that nasty, nasty tackle. And like you said, with all due respect for all of the issues that go on, maybe that one was more unintentional and maybe less of a chance. But again, a very, very high possibility for a red card with your foot that high, leaving it planted in. You saw the scenes after with the red marks and scars and scratches on Kai Havertz's chest and abdomen. And you wonder, what does Chelsea have to do for a referee to make a a good decision here? But look... (laughs) Ultimately, don't care. I think I love that you compared him to Sabregas because I don't think they're the same player necessarily, but you can see what Enzo is. He's got a little bit of everything, Rahul, which when we were trying to talk about Enzo and evaluate him, I think people were saying he can be something He can be something different. He can be whatever he wants. He's got a little bit of everything. And I go, a little bit of everything. Is he a defensive player? Is he an attacking player? Is he a regista? And it's like, No, he really does have a little bit of everything. And so what I'm excited to see for the rest of the season and and seasons beyond is what does Chelsea mold him into? When we have other players around him, today it's Kovacic and they balance each other well. In the future, if you have a defensive player with him, does he play higher? Does he convert into that Regista and control the tempo of the game? I thought the pass was so sumptuous and so well-timed because you look at it and like you, Rahul, I'm looking at the side and I go, Mudrik's a mile offside. Joao Felix is playing on <laughs> in another pitch. But he has the vision and he see, sees Kai's kind of bent and ready to run. And as soon as the ball leaves the foot, it lands for nobody else but Kai Havertz. But absolutely buzzing to get into the second half and say, we took we took that first half well. We didn't crumble, which is the most important thing I can see for that first half. And we can kind of build from there. But it's something good to talk about. Before we move into the second half, Rahul, I want to ask you a couple of interesting questions. And I was going to save this for the end, but I think it's important now that we've led up to this. With the injuries, Graham Potts had blamed a lot of it on he's not got to see this player or that player. Now he's got to see pretty much the whole squad. He's now trying to pick some <coughs> players. When the likes of someone like Ingolo Kante comes back in, what are you doing, Rahul? Are you going to drop Kovacic and pair Ingolo Kante with Enzo, when the likes of Thiago Silva comes back in, are you dropping a Fafana? Are you, I mean, how do you solve this problem now? That's really the question I have for you, and we'll talk about the second half right after. I feel like Graham Potter being asked this question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it's interesting, right? Because we were talking about, well, winning and, and the feeling it leaves you with and how suddenly you, the outlook changes. Well, Winning, right, and and being in a position where we've gone three games without Thiago Silva, without Angolo Conte, and we've won them, and we've progressed. We've made the Champions League quarterfinals. We've closed the gap, I put it in quotes, against some of our top five, top six <laughs> rivals. I'm not going to say four just yet. Um, it's It's easier for him to say, you know what, Thiago, I don't have to rush you back. Take the time that you need. I know we're going into an international break. That obviously helps you out because hopefully Brazil don't call you up. Take the time that you need. Angolo, take the time that you need because he was supposed to come back, I believe, in December and had a setback and now is coming back. It's almost mid-March. And 
slowly bring those two in back into the fold because if let's say we are focusing more on the Champions League, those two are going to be crucial for us in in that run in. And Angolo Conte is going to feel like a whole new signing. And I know we've had a lot of signings. <laughs> so to say Angolo Conte is going to feel like a new signing, it's 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 weird, but it's also good because we know what he can do. We know mm. what a difference he makes to that midfield and to the squad overall. So I would say give them the time, don't rush them back, but give them minutes off the bench, especially with five substitutions. Give them minutes off the bench so that they get back into the fold, get up to their fitness. And then with the Champions League quarterfinal, second leg, or first leg even, you're starting a, a rested, I put it in quotes again, a Thiago Silva or Angolo, Angolo Conte, and you're using maybe a Kovacic or even with mm. Enzo. I think Enzo has played every single game since he's come in. Fair. Suddenly you can be like, you know what, Enzo, I'm going to rest you for a game in the Premier League because we're now focusing on the Champions League. It gives him a little more options. Again, different players, different attributes. But I'm thinking about Angolo Conte and Enzo as a midfield, and I'm I'm almost dreaming a little too far ahead of myself. Uh, but Kovacic has been great. I think yep. we need to talk about him too in a second. But again, I think that's what you do with at least those two because those two are going to be part of the squad next season. I think maybe with the Ziyech or someone like mm. a, a Pulisic coming back. And we have seen Pulisic play the last two games too. So maybe he is part of the plan. So it's it's different when you win it's a different feeling because you don't have to rush players back players almost have to earn their way back into the squad versus yeah. if you're in a run of five six games where you haven't won you're like well let me throw angolo in and see what happens let me throw tiago in and let me see what happens so it's a good feeling again we still have another game before the break but we're heading in the right direction and, and it allows Graham potter a little more room to manage all these players mm. when we're winning and i hate to be Graham potter because like you said these are questions that I asked you, right? But they're going to be asked of him. And it's a completely different set of challenges to what he had 10, 15 games ago where I don't have the first 11 to pick from because some are injured. Some are not fit because they're coming back from injury. Some are not fit because they've just transferred into running into March now. Almost everyone's going to be fit. All of the new boys are settling in. Now you got to figure out how do you manage them a little more difficult on we're going to a Champions League run. We're winning games again. Everybody wants to be in that squad. So it's going to be interesting. Let's stick with Graham Potter for a few minutes and talk about his man management. And I'll run through a couple of the changes that happened. I don't remember all of the exact times, but halftime, Jao Felix goes off. He didn't have the greatest game for Chelsea in this particular one. He, he did score. He was offside and he hit the post, but I think it was, just wasn't working. Conor Gallagher comes on, and a lot of people had raised eyebrows, myself included. A little bit later, uh, Chukameka comes on. At some point, Leicester changes to a back four. He takes off Ruben Loftus-Cheek, brings in Chaloba, changes to a back four to match them. And then towards the end, he brings on Pulisic, like you said, and Benoit Badashil, just to kind of refresh in the team. Game management, substitutions, these are things that we have complained about for the last 10 games or so. But over the last game, game and a half, two games... He's finding a way to get it right. Even going back to Leeds, where I criticized the subs as being defensive, and you said, doesn't matter, we just got to get the win here. The subs are now changing to actually make tactical sense. At least that's my perception. I want to hear your thoughts on his game management and his substitutions. I think that first substitution, which was Jao Felix coming off, takes a lot of... I, don't know, I have no other way to put it, but say balls, right? Because Joe Felix comes in as this big money mm. loan signing. He's made a difference to, for the most part in that attack. 
and at halftime to say, I'm going to take you off when maybe he could have taken off like a Mudrik, right? Because Mudrik, we've been, we said, was good, but maybe not having the best game, especially in that unknown role. And he could have said, you know what, Jao Felix, I'll pair you up with Kai Havertz and we'll play as you two and I'll put um, Connor more central or at least in the midfield. Because what was happening, Jackie, was for us scoring the first two goals in the first half, we were still getting overrun a little bit in midfield. First line of pressing was getting evaded pretty quickly and they were finding space behind our midfield. And I think Graham Potter recognized that and he said, you know what, I need another body in midfield. And it's not just a body because Conor Gallagher brings aggression, pace, tenacity, whatever you want to say. And it's not just on the defensive side because he'll close you down, he'll take the ball off of you, and he'll just run. <laughs> uh, and so suddenly you're you're getting someone that's going to be doing a lot of the hard work on both ends. Right. And so I think that was a great change. Um, it allowed us to maybe be a little more solid. Uh, in that midfield with the defense, but also have an outlet with Mudrik on the pace or Kai Havertz as the central two. Um, so I think that, that that was a good change. And then I think Carney came on yep. um, again, which managing, I believe, just players and, and the time that they're getting. For some reason over here, Google says Pulisic didn't come on, but I'm pretty sure I saw Pulisic come did, on. Yeah. So, um, I don't know what's going on there, but Pulisic comes on. And I think, like you said, we change it to a four, which at that point, again, I'm like, why are we changing? Threes work for us. Let's keep it. But it worked changing to a four. I think we found a little more space. Our attackers, uh, Mudrik goes left, Kai Havertz central. And I think Pulisic was on the right. And we were finding the space down the wing. So you got to give him credit. In the in the last two, three games, he's made the right moves. They've come off, which, which helps. Um, so... Again, we're heading in the right direction. I think he's learned a lot about his players, not just in the last three, but over the last three months, you could say. Uh, and now we're all reaping the benefits of, and, and the rewards of all the work that's been put in. And things are falling our way, which is which is not what we've been able to say the last few games. So not trying to get carried away again, but Everton next. We have to continue mm-hmm. where we left off here, see that through, and then we come back for the la- last part of the season and see where we end up. And I think what's important to note, Rahul, is like now the changes are coming. I'll stick with Connie's change, for example, right? When we're losing, a Chelsea fan asks, oh, you could have played Carney and he could have done something. Or you could have played Pulisic and he could have done something because you're so upset that you're trying to help from the sidelines. And I know it's not right. We've done the same thing. Why don't we see this player? Why don't we see that player? And I think what Graham Potter is doing is exactly what you said. I'll give them 10, 15 minutes and you'll see... While they can play a part, they're not ready. They're not ready to play 90 minutes and take this team to the next level. And so I'm going to defer to some of these other players that you may not think is the right selection. And then I go back to Kai Havertz, who has been so heavily criticized. And he is the right selection. He's going to do something for us. And that's all he can do is say, I'll give them 10, 15 minutes. And and I say this for every substitution. They have to take with both hands. And I think Conor Gallagher is one that Whenever he comes on, Rahul, he takes it with both hands, both feet, his head. He's ready to do whatever he needs to do to say, put me in, boss. I want to play more. And that's just going to make Graham Potter's job a little more difficult. But at the same time, it gives him a problem that every manager would love to have. Whenever I call upon a guy, they're 100% invested and ready to go. I want to wrap up the segment with the man they said we should spend a few minutes talking about, which is Mateo Kovacic. He doesn't score a lot of goals, which I think that's something he can improve in his game. But when he does score them, 
<laughs> they are absolutely beautiful. Would you agree with that? A hundred percent. He's he's um like you said, he doesn't score a lot, but when he does, it's a banger against Valencia. It's a banger against Liverpool, and here he just—he uh, was the last person I expected to be in the box <laughs> when Mudrik is knocking it down, and he just like karate kicks it into the net, and I'm like, "Whoa, that's Kovacic!" Of course it is because it's not a normal goal, and it's—I I love seeing him score because, like you said, he doesn't do it that often, but when he does, it's something great. And in this case, we were looking for the third. We get the third goal. We don't celebrate it again because we're like VAR, Kai Havertz might be offside. But that and that move, Jackie, when we switched to a back four, allowed someone like Kovacic to be like, you know what, Enzo, wait here. I'm just going to go into the box. <laughs> uh, and it was almost Lampard esque because it was a late run. The ball goes to the winger. The winger knocks it down. And who else but our midfield eight puts it into the net? So he's been, he, we've missed him. We've missed Kovacic. And, and you don't realize it when he's not in the squad, which is weird to say, but suddenly he comes back in and you're like, wait, this is what we needed. We needed yeah. someone to drive. We need someone to make those connections between the defense and the attack. Uh, and him and Enzo suddenly formed this bond yeah. relationship where they've turned into a three-game winning midfield <laughs> uh, duo. So I'm, I'm happy. I'm pleased that the both of them are working out. I know we've spoken about N'Golo Conte coming back in. Mm. Uh and Connor Gallagher is there too to support, but those two seem to be like the first choice. And hopefully, Kovacic can stay fit because imagine rotating between Kova, Engolo, and Enzo. It is a very, very tasty trio to rotate through, and I think I'd be excited to talk about that in the next couple of games when Conte is back in. But coming back to Kovacic, Rahul, I think other than the goal, what he brings to Chelsea is just the ability to get out of tight spaces. And I think you look at the midfielders and you say. Who can carry the ball forward, but who can carry the ball forward, not lose it and get out of the tight spaces? And I think it's Kovacic. I think he takes it from very, very deep. He finds a way to silkily dribble through some tight midfields. And maybe that's where we, we start to say why we don't notice what Kovacic does sometimes, because it's like, is there a final ball? Is there a goal shot? Is there something that can say, what's the end product? But I think it's the work that we don't always appreciate is you see it now when when Enzo is there and says, okay, Kova, you're going to run and I'll cover for a few minutes. Or Kova says, I'll cover and you go make an assist for a few minutes. And you see that partnership blossoming. And I'm very, very excited because it gives us unlimited opportunities. And I'm not saying to change the formation. Please don't hear that. But maybe <laughs> you can play a 4-3-3 with the three of them playing together. And how tasty would that be with Conte anchoring because he may not have the same pace. But don't get ahead of myself. I think it was... Fantastic performances all over the pitch and so excited for that. The last thing I'll touch on for a second is we finally get a red card for, for Leicester. It comes after so many different situations. I think it was two yellow cards, if I'm not mistaken, but it's almost like the referee says, you know what, they need to get one at this point and just kind of raises <laughs> his hand and we wrap it up from there. Rahul, let's the, talk. The Go ahead. The referee was like, I have to provide some kind of, you know, uh, report to my bosses this weekend. So let me... <laughs> Let me send a lesser player off just to be safe. But even that one, Jackie, we're, I think it was a foul. He may have tried to play the advantage, but the Chelsea players were just like, what is going on? What yeah. is going on? Because he needs to be sent off. And he blows the whistle like 20 seconds later. And he's like, you're right. I'm going to give him a second <laughs> yellow. And I, when he blew the, the whistle, I was like, I think he's going to book us because why else would he be stopping it? Um, but did the right thing. And 
maybe a red card too late, but at that point mm. we had the three points, so I don't really care. Three points, three wins. How nice does it feel? It's good to be back to winning ways. I don't want to jinx it, so we'll wait for the next game. But let's talk about one name that was missing from the score sheet, from the starting lineup and from the sheet, team sheet. It's a controversial one because I don't know what's going on, but there's a rumor floating on the internet that Mason Mount is indeed fit and he was dropped for contract reasons. Again, it is a rumor floating around. I don't know how accurate this is, but Rahul, I want to hear your thoughts on this and where this rumor is coming from. It's, again, it's one of those things on the internet, right, where we've seen, I think, was it the Leeds game? No, I think it was before... I think it was the Leeds game, I can't remember, where we were told he's injured. Mm. Um, so he missed that one. He was obviously suspended against Dortmund, and then he didn't even make the 18 for the Leicester game. So I thought he was still injured, but today I'm seeing a lot, like you mentioned, that he is fit, he's being dropped, Bully's saying something about uh, to Potter to not play him. There's a contract situation like we've spoken about a few months, weeks ago where I think it's come to a standstill and Mason wants more, the club aren't going there. Ultimately, I think I look at this, right, and I'm like looking back, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but Wayne Rooney has done this where he's asked for more, he's been linked to rival clubs like Chelsea, and ultimately has gotten what he wanted or close to what he wanted from United and stayed. John Terry, I believe, did the same thing, and and we love John Terry. We we absolutely adore him, but I think he was linked to Man City uh, at some point in his career, stayed, got a new contract, got the money that he was looking for from Chelsea. So it may be one of those things, and we don't know the details. We don't know if he's actually fit, if he's injured, but if he's ready to go, I don't think anything is going to stop him from performing for the club that he loves. Regardless of what's going on with the contract situation, I think he wants to see this season out on a high. And I really believe that. I hope that's true. Can't really say much more. We'll see what happens. Uh, but I think he'll end up staying and he'll get what he wants or close to it. Yeah, and I think I echo what you say, which is if he's fit and he's ready to do a job, which means if you tell him to put on a shirt and come on and he's 100% mentally in the game, why not? But if you're using it as a negotiation tactic to scare him or force him to accept what you've put on the table, I think that's a little bit scummy. I'm not saying that's what Chelsea is doing, but you hear rumors and sometimes rumors don't come out of nowhere, Rahul. Sometimes they do. So I have to, to raise my hand to that one. But overall, I think there's a, an amicable way that this can be sorted. And you and I here at the Premier Chelsea, we love Mason Mount and hope he stays. But even if he, he decides to move on or Chelsea decides to move him on, I think while he's here, fit and ready, let's keep it amicable and play him or at least bring him into the, the 18-man squad that goes for the day so we can figure out what we need to do from there. I just want to add, if if that is the case where he's Graham Potter is being asked to leave him out, I think that's a wrong decision because Mason Mount is well-liked within the squad. I think you look at Thiago Silva, the senior players, Espelicueta, I was going to say Jorginho, he's not here anymore. Uh, but the likes of those two, right? I think Mason Mount is liked. They know what he brings to the squad. We saw Thiago Silva yelling for Reese James in, in that Champions League game. I think the feeling towards Mason Mount is the same. So if you're right. leaving him out because of a contract situation, that's not going to sit well with your players and that's going to create another issue. Mm -hmm. So... If that's really the case, I hope Chelsea and Graham Potter see the other side of it and say, 
the business is the business. Let's not disrupt the squad. Let's not disrupt what's going on right now, which is we're heading in the right direction. But ultimately, you never know. Billionaire's ego is something that you can't can't predict or or control. Let's leave it at that and hope that that's not the case. Let's transfer into the women. Rahul, how long has it been since we've had both the men and the women, and I think even the under-18s winning in the same <laughs> weekend? So I'll pass it to you to break down the women's team. Uh, a win all around. But Jackie, I'm going to read some stats for you, and you can tell me who you think won based off those, right? So possession, 64% versus 36%. Passes, 507 versus 298. Pass accuracy, 75% versus 60%. And shots on target, three each. So the stats I've just read out, which team do you think they fell for? You would imagine the team with more of the possession and more of the passing would win. But I've seen that with our Chelsea men's side. That's not always <laughs> the case. So who actually won based on the stats then? The stats fell in favor of Manchester United, but the goal fell in favor of Chelsea, which is what really counts. Um, and the goal came in a fitting way. If you think about it, it's a long ball from Lauren James from, from the right side into Didier Kerr, sorry, Sam Kerr, um, who takes the control on her chest, puts her in, a, in, in her path, and just pushes it over the goalie, and it's 1-0. And I'm like, what just happened? Because, And Sam Kerr is the ultimate big game player, at least for the women's side, where anytime we have a top-of-the-table clash or we have a cup final, she's scoring. And that's why I said Didier Kerr, because... She reminds me of Didier Drogba, where she's the striker, she's leading the line. We could have no possession. We could be ultimately not even like stringing a few passes together. And suddenly we're 1 0 up because we have someone up front that can put the ball in the back of the net. And she does that for us. And that wins us the game. We didn't have the best performance. I think once we scored the goal, we basically said we're just going to defend it and see what United can do. And it worked out for us. It's almost like that game against Arsenal a few weeks ago in the FA Cup, uh, FA Cup, where the stats didn't favor us. We were not the better side, but we won the game, and then we lost the next game. So <laughs> my only concern here would be the performance, because yeah. I know for the men's side, I'm like, I don't care about the performance, and we just win, and that's fine. But the, with the women, it's a little bit different because we have an FA Cup tie coming up. I think it's a quarterfinal. We have Lyon coming up. We have Man City coming up. So we need to be in a little bit more of a rhythm where instead of just saying knock it long to Sam Kerr and let her let her get the, the goal, which works, but it's not always going to work. So that's my only concern. But ultimately, we win the game. We go top of the table. We're now sitting pretty clear with at least a game or two in hand. Um, and that's what we do, right? I think we we come from behind this time of the this, this season and then we just kind of stay there and we win the title. Fingers crossed. That's what happens this year. Uh, but like I said, we have a few more big games and we're always competing in four tournaments. So we are still in the league. We lost the Conti Cup final. We're still in the FA Cup and the Champions League. So that's where I'm like, let's get the performance a little more in line with what we're doing with winning. But otherwise, I, I can't complain. And I think just to repeat what I've said on previous episodes, Rahul, Emma Hayes will notice that. And she's a perfectionist and she's not going to accept that this team is going to scrape by. They're going to want to improve and say... Yes, ladies, you're winning, and that's great. But I want us to take it from 
we got that long ball and just a goal in the net to let's dominate teams because that's what we're capable of doing and that's what she expects from them. But I think it's just the history of what we've seen with the women. Hopefully they can turn around to the performances like you're seeing and just go on to winning ways. All right, let's talk about some other games here. Just spend a couple of minutes, Rahul, and get your thoughts. Liverpool <laughs> Liverpool go from a 7-0 <laughs> thumping of Manchester United to losing to Bournemouth. I'm sorry I chuckled there because it's it's the level of inconsistency I've expected and seen from us this season, and Liverpool seem to be joining us in that up-and-down momentum here. This is football heritage. <laughs> <laughs> Enough said there. I think you've heard what Rahul has to say about Liverpool. I, I don't know what's going to happen next and, and through the summer with Jurgen Klopp, but we'll, we'll sit around and find out. Let's talk about Tottenham, Rahul. Lots of drama with Tottenham, at least in the Champions League when they go out. Richarlison says something. Conte says something. Tottenham seem to bottle everything they need to do, but they get the results against Nottingham Forest, 3-1. They do, and Richarlison actually scored in that game <laughs> after, I think it was like a minute or two, and, and suddenly you're like, what a master stroke. Everyone's <laughs> getting what they wanted out of it. But VAR comes in, and this is where I'm like, I love VAR. <laughs> because Richarlison celebrated, the stadium went crazy, and VAR is like, nope, that was offside. You're Come offside. back, and Richarlison's still looking for his first uh, goal for Tottenham in the Premier League. But they, they come back, they win a 3-1, and Harry Kane stepping up and doing what he does mm-hmm. and does well for my fantasy team. But we need them to lose a little bit because if we want to close the gap to the top four, <laughs> uh, we need Tottenham to do what Tottenham do, which they probably will do. But uh, in this case, they get the result. Like I said earlier in the segment, Rahul is going for top four. I'm just trying to get a fourth win. I'm not even thinking about top four at this point in time. Let's talk about City, Rahul. Erling Haaland does the business again, 1-0 against Palace. He does, and I think he didn't have the best game. Man City maybe didn't even have the best game, but it ultimately comes down to a penalty call, which goes their way. I think it was the right call. Olise was rash. I think he got caught in two minds maybe, made the tackle ultimately, and and fouled Gundogan. Holland steps up and scores and is, I think, 28 Premier League goals for the season. Wow. (laughs) We're at 27 as a team. Um but hey, Kai Havertz has a European Cup that none of Man City and, and Erling Holland has. So I'll take that. But there's one player, Jackie, in, in Man City that's impressed me quite a bit in the last four or five months, actually. And that's Rodri. And I know, I think, was it was it Rodri that didn't end up playing the Champions League final against us? Or yep, he was not Either way, that, it was yeah. Rodri suddenly become this hard defensive not suddenly and he's always been that way but this season i mean he's just mopping everything up he's sweeping everything up he's fully aware and he's almost coming to into a stage where i think he's 24 25 and he's hitting that peak and you're seeing it right in front of our eyes where man city are usually known for just scoring goals and being that free scoring team which they do but recently it's one maybe two and relying on their defense and Rodri to to do the work, and and they're doing it. So uh, I know they have a game against Leipzig in the Champions League, and you never know what happens there. But Man City are always going to be up there. And Erling Haaland's numbers, Rahul, are quite impressive. I wonder what would have happened if Chelsea had kept a striker like that, or Erling Haaland had a chance to join us. But can't cry of cry of spilled milk. What I can laugh about though is Chelsea lost to Southampton. Got a lot of fun made about us. Manchester United didn't lose, but 
again, another draw. And Casemiro, two red cards in a short time at Man United. I think he never had one in, in his whole time with Real Madrid. He probably should have. <laughs> uh, but coming to United, I think that's two red cards in four games. Wow. And now he misses four games because it was his second second red card of the season. But it's similar where it studs up. Mm. He catches the player. He's going for the ball. Studs up, catches the player. And I'm like, wait, this is the same thing that happened in our game. <laughs> and the red card wasn't given. Um, and that's where the consistency is in there. But I think... It's. I think it was the right call. You can't go in that that rash or that violent. Um, and United, I think, should have had a penalty too. But ultimately, I was. I was. Nothing would have made this weekend any better. But if Southampton had beaten Manchester United, <laughs> the feeling I would have, the relief I would have had that it wasn't just us. It can happen to Man United too, but it didn't happen. And I think. James Ward Prowse even hit the bar, and I'm like, oh man, come on. Uh, but I think we'll have to hold that title for now, which was losing to Southampton. We can hold that title, but we can also hold that we didn't concede seven goals this season. So I think that's, that's something true. we can be proud of for now. <laughs> Let me wrap up with the last game, and I'll pass it back to you to take us home. That's Fulham versus Arsenal. Fulham have been a good team this season, but Arsenal have just been immaculate this season. 3 0, job done, marching on to the title. I'm waiting for that the wheels to come off, but they just don't. I mean, three. I, it was three nil in the first half too. It wasn't like a three nil over you know <laughs> ninety minutes. It was like forty minutes or so. And I'm like, I I don't see how this is gonna how they're gonna be stopped. I know they have to play Man City. They slept go away to Liverpool. They have to play us, but it's been going for them all season, and it continues to fall for them. They're really overperforming, and I don't know who I was talking to a few months ago, but they're overperforming, and I think it's going to come down, obviously, next season. But if you're overperforming and you win the title, I don't think there's going to be any Arsenal fan that complains. Yep, absolutely not. <laughs> but, Jackie, we've won for the first time away since October uh, October 16th of last year. We scored six goals in three games versus six in, like, 15. <laughs> So things are looking up for us. I, I know I joked about top four, uh, but look, we just need to win our games, see where we end up. We have the Champions League to focus on, which is nice. The draw is coming up this week, uh, but we will be back with an episode to review or preview, I beg your pardon, the Everton game, the Champions League draw. But until then, stay safe and up the Chels. Hey guys, the Premier Chels is sponsored by Kickoff Coffee. They are a top quality artisanal roasted coffee. In other words, they're Champions League winner and Premier League winner every single time. They deliver fresh bags directly to your home so you don't have to go to a coffee shop and pick up something. And the best part about them is every bag gives back to soccer charities. 10% of the proceeds go to organizations that use soccer to promote youth social development in the underserved areas. Use our code TPCOFFEE15 to get 15% off your order. You can order at kickoffcoffeeco.com or check out the links on our social media. Thanks.